over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, I wrap up a week of broadcasting here where oftentimes WABC, the acronym is uh, always broadcasting, Curtis. But the one hour that is uh, most popular amongst the many listeners in our tri-state area and beyond the Animal Welfare Hour, in which uh, my wife, Nancy, the animal rescuer, uh, participates, and it is the most called into, the most requested, and the most participatory of the many segments that we do. So once again, welcome aboard, Nancy. Thank you for having me again, Curtis. Now, earlier today, when we were looking at the kittens that you had helped deliver into the world from uh, their mother, Whiskers, you were the midwife after uh, saving Whiskers from uh, execution, uh, from yeah. being destroyed at the uh, at the animal shelter in New York City. There is one of the six kittens that does not seem to fit. It's a Russian blue. <laughs> it looks just like our beloved Tuna, who was the um, cat that many people remembered, who's no longer with us, passed to the hereafter, but was in my first TV commercial when I was running for mayor and was neurologically damaged, but was always there during uh, my campaign for mayor. Uh, Is it the possibility that, uh, you know, particularly if you believe as the Hindus do, uh, that people come back, you know, that there's a reincarnation, that Tuna, Tuna Sr., has been reincarnated to Tunya Jr. because there's no way <laughs> that Whiskers should have had a Russian blue kitten. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't um, fit into what uh, Whiskers looks like, nor does it fit into what the litter mates look like. So uh, curiosity as to how that happened. But, uh, yeah, it's funny. It is, it, it's definitely a Russian blue kitten, and... Yeah, again, whether or not it is tuna remains to be seen, but um, I'm trying to I'm trying to discern whether there's any similarities yet. Um, I guess I'll have to wait until I'll wait a little bit, but I mean, certainly the look is there, that's for sure. Now we have six kittens. Uh, when do you think uh, that you'll have socialized them to the point, have met their medical needs, so that they will be ripe uh, for adopting out? Oh, they'll be ripe within the next like like two weeks or so. I mean, they're, they're good. They're definitely socialized. Um, they're eating salad food. They're, you know, they're everything you'd be looking for in a little kitten, uh, playful, adorable, just, you know, learning everything brand new. Um, you know, but, but definitely very socialized already. So, you know, I mean, I can see some of them seem to be a little bit um, more bonded with each other, but, you know, at the same time, they, they seem to enjoy uh, spending time with each other. And actually they're starting to, 
uh, get to know the older cats too. So they're getting a like sort of wide range of exposure to different cats. So the way you handle adoptions, you like to adopt them out in twos, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. And what is the purpose of that? Well, I mean, you know, besides the fact that, you know, they always make sense to have in pairs. I mean, you know, I never liked the idea of having a cat by itself. And also when they do grow up together, especially like in this type of situation, they are bonded. So, I mean, you have, um, you know, again, to, to take bonded types of cats and, you know, even try to introduce them to another singular cat. I mean, that, that I would say that's a situation where maybe, you know, you have like a singular kid and that would make a little more sense. But I mean, you have bonded litter mates here. So, you know, they, they already have a, you know, a, a closeness to each other. So it makes a lot more sense. Now, there was a great article in uh, Sunday's New York Post by John Levin. Uh, he featured on City Councilwoman uh, Vicky Palladino, an animal lover. She has her own dog. Uh, and uh, as city councilwoman representing Whitestone, she is proposing legislation to stiffen penalties for animal abuse. And it's interesting because I saw John Levin uh, over at the Fox News Channel when I was doing the Hannity hit on Friday night, and he said the largest group of city council people who seem to be opposed to this are those who identify themselves as Democratic Socialists of America, those that follow AOC. Why would they be opposed to this, and why would anybody be opposed to this? Um, I mean, my I guess my gut reaction would be that anything that increases penalties or you know, creates the possibility of jail time is something that they're against. So, uh, I mean, you know, I, I would think any legislation they would be against that that increases penalties. But I mean, again, in this situation, uh, it definitely makes a lot of sense. So, I mean, I applaud the effort to, so, I mean, there's a, there's a few elements to it. It seems like so far um, where not only increasing um, prison time for, you know, potentially if someone uh, is found guilty of any of these crimes, but really the more important thing, uh, increasing the charges that you can prosecute as felonies um, regarding animal abuse, because currently, majority of uh, abuses against animals, so in- including things like, um, you know, torturing and mutilating animals, things you would think, oh, those must rise to the level of felonies, they don't. So what you have is a lot of misdemeanors, which which never get prosecuted. I mean, they're violations. So the idea of, you know, at a minimum, increasing the penalties means that this person is going to have, um, you know, uh, hopefully jail time. But again, it's really more of a recognition that, you know, people who are abusing animals are, you know, a, a segment of society. You really need to call out because anyone who's going to abuse weak um, elements of society, so that includes animals, elderly, children, I mean, everything falls in the same category. The point is you want to make sure that you're treating the person who who does this crime appropriately this isn't someone who should be wandering around society. This isn't someone who should get a slap on the wrist because this isn't a normal person. They're going to do this again, and you don't want someone walking around society doing this again. So, again, whether they need to be rehabilitated, whether it's the prison time, but something needs to call attention to this. Um, another element that, that she wants to introduce, too, is having a public animal abuse registry, which I think is um, super important as well because – 
there are people who are convicted of these offenses, but you would never know who they are. So, I mean, again, you might have them as your pet sitter. You might have them, you know, in your house um, around your pet if you don't know this. So, I mean, I, I think there's a value in having this type of information accessible, not only for that reason, too, but, I mean, if you're going to be potentially adopting out of pets, there's a lot of reasons why you want to have this information available to the public. So a lot of good parts of this. Um, hopefully, you know, this moves forward. It is amazing, though, that the Democratic Socialists of America who want to turn criminals loose, who assault and rob and steal from people, don't want to see criminals go to jail if they are battering animals. It's sort of like they just don't want to see anybody do the crime if they commit the uh, do the time if they commit the crime. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you re- you really have to start stepping up for those who can't uh, speak for themselves. And obviously, animals are the perfect example. I mean, if you, if you're not going to stand up for them, this this will continue to happen. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It's the Animal Welfare Show here, exclusive to WABC. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. But I see that man's best friends, dogs are now being used to sniff out breast cancer. Could you explain that? Uh, well, okay, so this was a story uh, with a woman in England, and, you know, she's crediting uh, her becoming aware of and ultimately being diagnosed with breast cancer to her uh, two-year-old, like, greyhound collie mixed dog. And, you know, she sort of detailed the this, like, series of behaviors that the dog did where, uh, you know, once she was laying down, the dog, you know, very uncharacteristically had um, jumped on her and, you know, kept on uh, sort of like uh, pawing and like attacking like, you know, well, one side of her chest. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, it, it, it got her kind of thinking, but I think it also maybe it caused a little bit of a strain. She thought, oh, well, maybe I have a, so I should go see the doctor. Like it just made her think about it. And within two weeks, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so, again, like this is, you know, one of these things where it's obviously it's very hard to tell the direct correlation. Like, did the dog know this? Um, Is it, you know, them sort of having a close relationship? She's reading the dog's behavior. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of, um, you know, this is just another example of animals really, you know, being very uh, in tune with their owner's um, physical ailments and physical needs. And, you know, I think this is a, a great example of that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. When we left the airwaves last week at the end of the Animal Welfare Hour, the big story was what appeared to be on the front page of the New York Post. A dog had been stabbed. He had to be euthanized by another dog uh, person who had three dogs uh, apparently first on a leash and not on a leash. They were walking their dogs, two different individuals. Uh, The conflict came about on the corner of about 105th and 5th Avenue, right uh, on the east side of Central Park. We have not seen anybody arrested in that case. That was page one news. That was the lead story for a few days what, if anything, has happened uh, behind the scenes with that case, Nancy? You know, it, it, so besides the fact that it seems to have uh, come to a halt uh, considerably, you know, so, some of the additional information that came to light, 
uh, seemed to be that, oh, maybe it wasn't, the facts weren't quite as they were initially laid out, you know, w- meaning that maybe there was um, a little bit more of an, uh, uh, a, an argument or a little bit more of an issue. You know, it, it, but it was, what's really odd is that it's the, the explanations for the, I mean, supposedly what's going on is, you know, there may be some conflicting testimony, but the reality is there still is someone who's walking around Central Park and clearly has been, um, you know, uh, documented because there was tons of witnesses when the cops were investigating this, talking about this individual who constantly walks around the park and has these dogs unleashed and isn't mindful of when they're, you know, going around to people, um, sort of nipping at people, things like that, and did have a knife out, and this resulted in dog's death. So, you know, the idea of trying to, uh, you know, fuddle around the facts potentially where maybe we shouldn't really be investigating this, I still don't think anyone's going to feel any more comfortable walking their dog in the park knowing this guy is out there. So I'm not sure why it's not being prioritized still, but there doesn't seem to be any movement on it um, at this point. Well, like uh, almost everything else now in the city, whether it's crimes committed against humans or crimes committed against animals, it seems that with so few cops out there and their numbers being depleted as we speak and no desire on the part of DAs anywhere to prosecute, never mind uh, crimes committed against people, but crimes committed against animals, we're probably going to see a lot more of this. Yeah, yeah, and again, certainly um, people walking around with their dogs unleashed is is not unusual in New York City. But you know the, the types of dogs that you know you can train them to attack. And again, now you have multiple dogs. Yeah, it it, it could be potentially very scary to to go to the dog run with uh, with some people. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Now you've seen the movie Canadian Bacon with John Candy. No, I have not. Well, the premise of it is that we invade Canada. You know, this is like we needed to uh, to show that we were warlike, so we decided let's take on our neighbors to the north. We invade Canada and make it into the 51st state. But I see we have a problem of reverse invasions that pigs apparently are invading the United States from Canada. <laughs> yeah, so um, apparently there's this hybrid form of a pig that was developed decades ago by Canadian farmers in part, um, you know, just because the largeness of them and also their ability to withstand the cold temperature. But, you know, after the the economy tanked a little bit, they didn't need them anymore. They just let them roam free. So apparently they've just been becoming bigger and larger, and now they're, they've are they headed south of the border. So they're, they're in Montana, North Dakota, Michigan, and they're referring to them basically as invasive species. So it's a combination of like a domestic pig and a wild boar. And apparently like everything it comes across, it just devours. So like uh, ducklings, deer, crops, I mean, it's it's incredibly dangerous, apparently. I mean, so, th- but this is the word, but there's so many of them. So now they're trying to figure out how do we get a handle on this? And it seems like the population is out of control and even normal hunting methods that they're employing aren't working. So they're saying that 
they're actually so smart that they're evading the typical hunting methods. So now they they might really have a problem with these uh, in, invasive super pigs. So wait a second. So we've been now invaded by this new breed of super pigs, hogs from Canada, uh, part domestic pigs and part boars, wild boars. We've been invaded by Canadian geese, a.k.a. Canada goose. They're everywhere. They're pooping all over the place. People are like uh, slipping and sliding and, you know, busting their rump. And then you go to try to get rid of the Canada goose or Canadian geese, and they give you a hard time and start hissing at you, and then they bum-rush you. Man, we've been invaded by Canada now in two ways, Nancy. Yeah, so, I mean, apparently this this will be an issue. They even have, a um, in certain counties, a hotline, like a, a website or like a Twitter feed you would go to to report them when you see them. So you can let the the local officials know where they're located at. So that that's how that's how how hot an item this is. Wild Hazarai. <laughs> Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. WABC. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Uh, interesting. Uh, how many times people have gone to restaurants? I remember the old Lundy's. This is before your time, Nancy. Lundy's was the largest restaurant in the world served more dinners on a weekend than any other restaurant. And you would walk into Lundy's, which was right at Sheepshead Bay, right before the water, and they would have lobsters in tanks, still alive. And then you would pick the lobster, and then they would bring it in the back in the kitchen, and they would boil the lobster. So you would uh, pour the lobster right into the boiling water, and then it would be prepared with butter or whatever dressing and brought out to the customer. And uh, that seems to be the way that lobsters are re- uh, are prepared in many locales. People like to see the lobster first, pick it, and then it gets boiled alive. But there is this, this concept that lobsters likely feel pain and should be sedated before... You eat them. Can you sort of explain that? Yeah, I'll um, I'll go through this story as as quickly as possible because I find the whole thing quite disturbing. But um, so because there's this recognition clearly that they have feelings in terms of recognizing pain and and responding to the fact that they're being boiled alive. Um, there's been you know legislation uh, in European countries where they've uh, I guess the the humane approach to to trying to um, prepare 
this for food. Um, they um, shock them with electricity, but there's questions as to whether or not that's really helping or it's just making it faster. So this one woman who has a, a restaurant in Maine, she apparently uh, she does something where she utilizes something with cooking them. It's called hot boxing, and uh, and she, well, her 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 studies and her research has led her to believe that because they do have feelings, she was thinking uh, she sort of had a test experiment of utilizing marijuana when she was sort of uh, having this sort of test lobster take a bath in hot water, and she realized, oh, they get really relaxed, so. Maybe that's a good formula going forward for cooking them, so this way they don't feel so much pain when we boil them. Um, now, again, obviously this is all conjecture. No way to really know. Um, it sounds to me like it could be maybe more mortifying if if you're saying that you're going to increase their sensations at this time. So I'm not sure. I think there's a, the it remains to be seen, but I, I would still suggest not e- eating them at all. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a bit bizarre. So, when did you get these lobsters? At McLeish Market? No. I got them in the ocean. The ocean? Mm-hmm. What do you mean? Well, I found this rope, and I kept tugging on it. All these lobsters came up. Those are commercial lobster traps. You can't take lobsters from there. That's against the law. Hey, take it easy. There are plenty of lobsters in the ocean for everyone. <laughs> My father was a lobsterman. He got up every morning at four and came home at night stinking of brine. He sent me through law school with the lobsters he caught. Yeah. Now, that was a brief piece from Seinfeld. That was Kramer. Yes, yes. Who had <laughs> taken the lobsters out of a trap that were in the ocean. Yeah, that was great. Prepared them. And then animal wildlife officers came the next day and apparently fined him significantly. But that goes hand in hand with a story that is out from Long Island, not far from where you were uh, raised out there in uh, Bohemia, in which they are now implementing stiffer penalties for crab stealing. Uh, Explain a little bit of that, because there's obviously this crabbing out there. There there are oysters, there are clams, there are lobsters. Uh, How can you tie this all together? Well, uh, apparently it must be huge because they've dubbed it an organized crab crime ring. So, I mean, it extends far and wide, apparently. But apparently what's going on is out-of-towners are, uh, you know, coming to, in uh, in particular, into East Hampton and going into the waterways. And they're, um, you know, stealing just as much sort of shellfish as they can possibly carry and leaving. Now, apparently what the... Uh, what the regulations are is that if you're a person who lives within um, the town, you're able to, um, you know, you're able to do that. But then you would also have things like on your car, you'd have like stickers, you'd have permits, things like that. So they're recognizing that these out of town cars are coming and late at night and they have a very um, particular thing where they're alerting each other to the Marine patrol officers. So, so basically the idea is, we can find them into not doing it anymore. So they're very, you know, convinced that if they raise this fine from $150 to $1,000, this is somehow going to deter something. 
But initially, what what the problem is, what they said is that because it's a crime that isn't anything that you can arrest someone for, uh, you know, they don't have anyone's ID. And if you're not going to pay a $150 fine, why would you pay a $1,000 fine? I'm not really sure how positive it is, like how much it's going to do. Although what they're trying to do is also make some things arrestable. So if they catch you trying to grab some of these shellfish at night, they want to be able to throw you in jail for this. So I'm like, good luck with that. Well, the horseshoe crab, which I don't know if you've ever seen horseshoe crabs, but uh, when I was growing up, they were everywhere, all along Plum Beach, all along Jamaica Bay. And I see that in these federal areas, like the Jamaica Bay area, uh, if you get caught trying to harvest any of those horseshoe crabs, you get hit with sizable fines. In fact, you could even be put into jail. Asians seem to believe that if you get a horseshoe crab and you get a particular part of it, it's an aphrodisiac. So they'll actually export it back to mainland China. They have caught Asians out there in rowboats at 3 o'clock in the morning trying to take horseshoe crabs, you know, who cling along the uh, the shoreline uh, in the wee hours of the morning. And they'll have the uh, U.S. Uh, U.S. Wildlife uh, Rangers in helicopters uh, <laughs> shining lights down on them. That's how vigorous the trafficking and trade is. And so you could actually be locked up for that. You could uh, have to uh, pay a severe fine for stealing horseshoe crabs out of the water. Yeah, I mean, again, like I, I can understand if you have something where it's um, an endangered species. And, and a lot of these things that they can sell that's um you know it's so expensive so i can see why people are willing to go to these lengths to do it but i'm actually surprised that there's that much enforcement really uh you know trying to find these people doing that our number is 1-800-848-9222 this is the animal welfare hour exclusive to wabc wabc the Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. To the phones we go. It's Loretta in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Loretta. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. How are you? Good. Good. Um, years ago in the 60s, mid-60s, they sold live lobsters in the tanks. In the supermarket, it was probably A&P, and I didn't want to get them. My husband said he knew how to cook them. I said, I don't know anything about live lobsters. I'm not doing that. They're alive. <laughs> he said, I know how to do it. You you boil the water first, and then you drop them in the boiling water, and that stings them. It, it renders them unconscious, and they don't feel anything. I said, I don't want any party to this. It's on you. So we get the live lobsters home. You know, the claws are tied. Yeah. And I took a long, long walk with the dog. I said, I'm not going to be in this house to witness this. So uh-huh. I get I get back. They're on the plate, you know, cooked and dead, live oh. animals. I don't like to see this. And he said, never again. I said, what uh-huh. do you mean? I said, what do you mean never again? He said, they screamed when I put Oh, them in. God. <laughs> I said, did you have to tell me that? 
<laughs> and 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 he said never again. I said I didn't want to do it anyway. This was your bright idea. <laughs> so then we're eat. I'm eating reluctantly because that's all we had for the for the Sunday dinner. And he said, you know what that is in there? I said what? He said that's eggs. It was a pregnant female. <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I, I should have murdered him right then and there. <laughs> But never again. Um, no, it has to be a dead thing. In fact, I go out. It ha- would have to be lobster tails. I can't see. I can't see the dead animal on a plate. Yeah, no, no. There are many people who have that same experience. Uh, can't even look at a fish, a full fish, on a plate. Let's go to Susan uh, calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour at WABC. Susan. Hi, Nancy, and hi, Curtis. And I want you to know that I. Sent you a lot of money for your campaign. Well, thank you. Um, thank you. You're, wel- you're welcome. I had my fingers crossed. Anyway, um, I, I live on the Upper East Side on 63rd Street, and in the neighborhood is a little bodega that you'd, I'd, I'd walk by and never noticed it before on 61st between 1st and 2nd. And there's this orange tabby sitting outside, and this woman that I know is petting him, and she said, their previous cat was stolen. This is the new cat. I felt terrible. I went home. I printed a sign, and I brought it back to the store, and I told this, you know, they're uh, South Asian people, and I told them, put this in your window, um, uh, and it's a sign, hello, humans. This, this store is my home. Oh. I, have, I have GPS. I have a microchip. Don't think about stealing me because you will be prosecuted by the full extent of the law. Wow, that's so, great, Susan. And and did they did they take this sign and keep it there? Yes, he put it. And the next day I walked by to make sure that the sign is in the window. And uh, people are walking in, and then he says, and I'm talking to him, and I'm saying, I'm going to Petco, and I'm getting getting your cat now a collar. So people will know when he walks outside, he's walking up and down the street, that they'll know at least it belongs to somebody. Yeah. So as I'm standing there, a man walks out, and he says, can I help you? He says, no, I just wanted to see the cat. And I look at the man, and I said, you look like Greg Kelly. And he says, that whack job right winger? And he extends his hand, and he says, I'm Greg. <laughs> That's a great story, Susan. <laughs> so I'm shaking hands with Greg, and he's with his wife. And he's, I said, you live around here? Yes, he lives around here. But then I'm walking a block or two up the street with him. And he said, um, and we start talking about uh, Eric Adams. And I'm saying I listen to Curtis every day in the afternoon, and then I listen to you at 1 o'clock. And I said about that. That pre- uh, him preaching at the church, that God spoke to him, and I was talking about that, and I said, the city's in a mess. I've never seen it like this. Your father was a great commissioner. I said, now we don't have a commissioner, and he says, oh, yeah, well, she was in over her head, you know, and we kept talking about all this. Well, stuff. no, no, I, I, I will definitely, Susan, <laughs> relate that to Greg. That's for sure. That's a great story. Anyway. <laughs> Let's go to Janice calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Janice. Hello, 
Nancy and Curtis. I've been meaning to call for a couple of months, but I've just been kind of like in a pet mourning phase. And I also, I, I'm the girl, I have the four black kittens that were born in the woods that I raised. But I um, first wanted to just give you my heartful, I'm, I'm so heartbroken about uh, Tuna. I've been following your story with her, and I just have to tell you how bad I feel. But I'm glad that you're, you have the new kittens. And I lost my, out of the four black cats that were 17, I lost my baby, the, the girl, uh, January 13th. So that was my third one that I lost this, mm. this in the last year. Mm. And so I have my fourth one out of the litter still surviving, which I send to – I bring him four times a week for fluids at my local vet. So Knockwood, he's my lone survivor. He's my trooper. And he's doing great. He's like my black rag doll. But, however, um, we have my daughter's dog, who's a, a cockapoo named Jack. And, actually, his birthday is today. He's 10 years old. But I brought him to the vet last week, and he, uh, we gave him an ultrasound, and he's diagnosed with a lymphoma and he has an enlarged liver and spleen. And the, lympho the lymphoma is, is like spread, and he's still hanging in there, but the doctor sent him home on steroids and maybe some gabapentin for some pain. But my other friend who has many dogs who raise, she raises was telling me about this B-17. It's some sort of... Um, chemotherapy or something that's from England. Now, I'm wondering if Nancy, if, if I mean, I, I, I've been heartbroken about our, our family dog. I've been crying all week, and I, I don't know how much time we have left with dear little Jack, and I'm just, like, desperate just for some information. If you've ever heard of this B-17, and any of your listeners out in Red Apple Media land, if they've ever heard of any type of B-17 or, you know, chemotherapy, it's supposed to cure, help with the cancer in the dog. Yes, have you uh, heard of that at all, Nancy? You know, no, that's actually that's not anything I've heard of. Um, uh, yeah, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I mean maybe someone uh, listening out there has, and they and they can reach out and you know reach out to the the radio station and if they have any um, well, experience. Uh, well, with I'll it. tell you what. Uh, make yourself useful here. At Runway model can get Janice's information and uh, Nancy. Uh, I'll bring it home with me, and maybe we can do uh, deep research on that. This boy, Janice, uh, you can feel her pain. She knows yeah. that her fourth cat of the litter of four is uh, running out of time and that the dog of her daughter is in really dire straits. And uh, we've talked to many uh, folks whose pets are their family members. They're their best friends. And they would do anything in the world. I I've talked to people. They would uh, take a reverse mortgage. It would sell their house if they could come up with any kind of a medical cure for their pet who is as close to them 
as any family member or any friend. And so no, absolutely. We'll, we'll follow up on that with Janice. Uh, let's go to uh, Glenn, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Glenn. How you doing? I was wondering, hopefully you guys could help me out with a situation that I have where I have um, eight cats and I have to find them homes because my girlfriend's had cancer for several years. It went into remission and now it came back and she hit now also has a heart condition where she's winded all the time and I'm working seven days a week, 12, 14 hours a day to pay for the doctors and her treatment and I can't afford the cats anymore and I don't have the time to take care of them and she cannot take care of them. Problem is, is they're like her kids and she wants to make sure that they have good homes. The brothers, she wants to go together. The sisters, she wants to go together. I'm hoping maybe you guys could help me find homes for them. All right, well, what what we'll do, Glenn, again, uh, Ken, let's uh, get Glenn's information, uh, and I'm sure, Nancy, you'd be willing to do a deep dive with all of your contacts to see if we can help out uh, Glenn with his uh, seven cats that he can no longer care for. Yeah, and and again, absolutely, Um, and hopefully, you know, there are places where when they have openings and you want to find um, as many as you can um, that can fit the parameters. So maybe, you know, some place can take, like, the two of the siblings together. But obviously the goal would be to keep them paired up. But, I mean, unfortunately this, this happens a lot, and hopefully we can help assist somehow um, to, you know, keep them together and help find them a good home. Let's go to John, who's calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Johnny. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. I just wanted to say, um, when you're talking about the registry for people who abuse animals, I couldn't help but remember that we've got to get rid of the squad, and you've got to get rid of AOC and Astoria because they want to get rid of the convicted sex offenders <laughs> registry. Yeah. So if, you, if they want to get rid of the sex offenders <laughs> registry, there's no way they're going to put an animal <laughs> registry in there. Yeah, exactly. That's all I have to say. All right. Thank no, you, no, that's uh, it, it, it's incredible <laughs> to me that our enemies now, as we are battling them in elections, the Democratic Socialists of America, but I, I call them what they are, they're socialists and on Democrats, uh, will not want to put animal abusers in jail and give them any kind of time and will probably not want a registry kept of animal abusers so that we can prevent more animal abuse. Uh, As John pointed out, they don't want a registry of sex offenders, sex abusers. Yeah, I mean, and and again, it makes no sense. And people who are abusing animals, clearly they need help. So this idea of, oh, let's let's not worry about uh, penalizing them, but you're not figuring out why they have that problem. That's not normal behavior. That's not something that other people are doing. Do you, I mean, do you want that person to go ahead and have a child in their house that they're taking care of? I mean, I wouldn't think so. So maybe you need to take care of this behavior as soon as you identify it in a person, because likely it's some sort of issue where maybe you can address it. But this pretending like it's not a big deal isn't helping anybody. Well, uh, we have made history this election cycle In the city council races in New York City, we have now qualified two candidates, one who is already a city councilman, a friend of all animals, uh, Robert Holden, 
who actually will not have competition. He's had some very heated races in the past. Uh, he is running, uh, though, uh, with no opponent. And he is registered on the first ever animal welfare line. We were able to qualify that for for Robert Holden uh, and his uh, his uh, campaign. And most importantly, for our brand new candidate to unseat Tiffany Caban, uh, the mini me, the minion of AOC, all out crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in Astoria, Kelly Klingman, who's running as a Republican from the Ronald Reagan Republican Club that we opened up that has actually more moderate Democrats involved than Republicans, will also be running on the first ever animal welfare line that will address a lot of these issues. So we're proud to say that the hard work uh, that we put into that is coming coming, uh, to fruitation, and we would hope in the future many, many more candidates would choose the animal welfare line as a third line in their attempt to get uh, elected. I mean, if they're trying to represent the constituents, then they certainly should. Let's go to Julie calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Julie. Yes, hi, Curtis. Hi, Nancy. So glad to talk to you and get through. I just wanted to know, I have a stray cat that we named Baby. I had her for about three years. She showed up one day. She has her ear clips, so she's fixed. Problem is, you know, it's the time of the year. A black cat showed up last summer, and he kept coming. You know, I put the food out in the front for the baby, and he kept stealing the food. So we didn't think anything of it. And then he disappeared, but long story short, he's back. And then another cat showed up, a black and white cat that looks exactly like Baby. Long story short, they're fighting. I saw saw her yesterday. I couldn't believe her. She comes to the door at the same time every day in the morning and at night when I come home, you know, in the evening. She comes running. She sees my car. She comes running. So I feed her in my garage. She comes in my garage, but she will not come in the house. In the winter, I've been trying to get it to come in coming, but as soon as she goes close the door she runs right out she's all bruised up somebody uh, is beating up on this this cat and i don't know what to do now i just don't know uh, how to keep her safe you know um huh, okay yeah i mean again right so that's a tough one so um the cats who are maybe the the new ones i mean that it would be obviously like territorial stuff if someone in the yeah. area can help with the fixing, but then maybe for um, for the cat that you're caring for, like, again, even yeah. though they're not willing to come in, um, uh, I, to whatever extent, again, I, I know this is like sort of would be asking a lot, so I don't even know what the parameters are, but if you had like some sort of an enclosure, um, you know, like, because uh, I know when, uh, when you do transportation of cats, like when you're moving them from one location to the next, it's just like anything right. where there's like mesh wiring, so they can't, you know, like um, chicken wire, they can't get out, something can't get in. I mean, maybe just to protect the cat for the time being, because until you can figure out what's going on with those new cats. The new cat, know, my yeah. husband saw the black and white one come around about two months ago. He thought she looked pregnant. He thinks it's a girl and pregnant. So now he's had, we didn't see her for a few weeks, and all of a sudden she come back. And she's got, you know, like the butt, the nipples are showing. He thinks uh, she had kittens. She might be fighting with this other cat, but they're both female. 
The only thing is the cat that I've been taking care of is fixed. Obviously, she's not. So I don't know if it's her just trying to protect her kittens, and I have not found the kittens. We looked at my yard. I have a big yard. We have like a a quarter of an acre. So I have a deck, a big, huge deck. She could be under there with the kittens. I don't know. But I don't know what to do. I feel so bad because I I don't want to stop feeding her because I know she needs food, you know, to feed her babies. But my husband saw it. I didn't see it. She runs away from me. I'll tell you what, Julie. What we will do is, uh, again, Kevin uh, can make yourself useful for a third time. Uh, get Julie's information out on Staten Island, and Nancy, you can continue to have that conversation with Julie. It seems to be a bit of a complicated uh, story. Yeah, and, and again, um, wow, well, again, yeah. So hopefully, some of the parameters can be. But it does, it does make sense when you have an unfixed um, female cat. Uh, no matter what, it may just be anything territorial. Um, so anything can be perceived as a uh, you know offensive and that could explain the behavior so and and then it w- again that then that's why you know obviously getting the cat fixed would be the solution but then you have the kitten so um yeah so yeah hope yeah let's see if we can help you out with um how to coordinate that stuff well it reminds me uh the Siamese cat Hercules uh, that yeah. was an outdoor cat a feral cat although obviously originally had been domestic uh, he got beaten up badly in uh, a fight that obviously transpired in the streets or the alleyways, and you nursed him back to health, and then you wanted to put him back in with the feral colony, and I told you, no way, can't put that cat back out there. He'll get torn up alive. And that became the first cat that we had indoors. You had never really had a cat indoors. Well, no, not um, – I no, that was uh... – that was, you know, I was taking care of the ones outside um, for the longest time. But, yeah, that that started a, a different trend yep. <laughs> the indoor cat. No, I insisted, uh, being a fighter myself, there's no way that that Siamese cat Hercules uh, could ever survive outside again. And he lived quite a life, quite a life. But if people would like to engage you in further conversation, how can they do that, Nancy? Um, we can go to uh, guardianangels.org, um, and then there's the Animal Protection tab. Or you can email me, nancy, at guardianangels.org. Do appreciate that. And uh, coming up next, oh, yeah, the Mac Daddy is back, Dominic Carter.